Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency. There has been some pretty interesting news out in the market this week. If you haven't seen already, Uniswap has just announced that they are going to be launching a venture capital firm. Now, most of you will know Uniswap if you've used a decentralized exchange or bought altcoins, but this venture into the space and supporting Web3 is a huge step for them and a huge step for DeFi in general. So today we're going to be breaking down DeFi, zooming out to a bit more of a macro level and really giving you an insight into the inner workings that are behind DeFi and all the things associated with it. And to do that, we have Mark Monford joining us. Now, Mark has worn many hats in his career. He has been an equities and macroeconomics analyst in Melbourne and London. He also spent time in sales at the ASX and was head of data analytics at the accounting and advisory firm Prosperity Advisors. Now, many of you may actually know him as the co-founder of the Australian DeFi Association, which looks to bring Web3 education and events to the masses. So whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious, I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this is Tapping Into Crypto. Welcome to the podcast, Mark Monfort. Thanks for having me. This is a very exciting moment for me in my crypto journey so far. I've still got so much to learn, but it's really exciting to be here. Yeah, and doing some epic stuff in the space. Now, we've touched on it in the intro, but I'd love to hear in your own words, you've gone on a bit of a journey. How did it come about to be the co-founder of the Australian DeFi Association? Yeah, kind of accidentally. Like I guess many things happen in the, the crypto space. It's all about building blocks. And we just recognized that there was this need to create something that is all about learning and bringing people together. So I'm a trade fi guy, I'm working in data and finance and all across the world, Melbourne, London, New York. And I'm a DeFi convert now. And what I realized and I'm loving being in the DeFi and Web3 space is it's all about collaboration. Learning does not happen in a vacuum. Learning does not happen alone. And so the DeFi Association, first and foremost, was to just get a little crew together. And initially, it was 20 people to just do learning. And then it's grown to 500 since January when we opened it up. And uh, who knows where it's going to go. But we've learned so many things just by bringing people together and having that network effect. So yeah, it's really cool. It's crazy. And in such a short amount of time to have all of those people coming together. And I think it is something so cool. And we're so excited to go a little deeper into this today because it's something that everyone is kind of learning about at the same time. And so when you've got a group of people that are, you know, some people are a little bit more advanced, some people are living and breathing it every day, kind of knowledge sharing. It just makes it so much easier to get your head around. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as much as we were kind of doing this collaborative type stuff before, and I was always big on networking in the community I'm involved in from the data side of things. And so we brought a lot of that experience into what we created, but it just seems like here, the underpinning of everything is the community, it is collaboration, and it's all about that kind of learning together the journey because no one really knows everything in this space. We're all learning together, especially as we're building the space as it's kind of like the analogy of like building the plane as you're flying it, or like building the car <laughs> as you're driving it. That's what it feels like, but it's great. Yeah, it's so much fun. And now, before we get too much into DeFi, because it's going to be exactly what we're going to be talking about today, the question that we ask everyone to the podcast, Mark, what was your very first crypto purchase and do you have it now? 
Oh no, <laughs> I've heard you ask this with all the other guests. Um, and unfortunately, I don't have a great story there. I mean, I bought Bitcoin purely out of FOMO. So I was working in equity research. I did have a lot of skepticism on this space, but at the same time, having seen other things rise on the back of what I thought was like very little fundamentals, things like Tesla and stuff, I thought, yeah, why not put a little bit of money in? I saw it rise. I made a couple of hundred dollars in the first couple of weeks there. So I was like very excited to be in on that rise, but I held on too long in uh, late 2017 and I was able to make it out as there was a slight recovery after it went down massively. So I made out with zero and then I bought Bitcoin against, but technically I still have the same type of investors, just not the same coins. And, you know, so I haven't really made out too well there, but there's other ways to kind of make money into this space, such as building. And, you know, that's some of the other things we're doing, but that first investment, I wish I had a better story for you. Oh my gosh. And we always talk about it. Like the people that hung on through 2017 and, and we say this and see this all the time. The ones that did make it through often were the ones that forgot they even have it in the first place or they lost their wallet or something happened because to ride that wave and to log on every day. And, you know, there are people who are going through this now, people that bought at the end of last year and they're looking now and they're going, Oh my goodness, is this ever going to recover? And it's like, it takes so much conviction to hang on. And even more so back then when the tech wasn't as strong and everything else that we're seeing now. Absolutely. And, you know, the interesting thing and much more so than I find in the equity markets is that because the data is so transparent in this space, you can see things like if there's a sell-off like we saw in January, was it the hodlers that were selling off or was it the people that just bought? And we saw more of the latter rather than like those that were holding on for like six months to a year to longer. So it's really interesting in this space, especially from a transparency and data perspective. But yeah, it's that conviction that people really need in this space, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And such an interesting thing to touch on there, like the polarity between trading and crypto. Like there's so many similarities, but then there are so many things that crypto has that share markets and, and traditional equities just don't have. Now, Mark, some people may not know you by your real name because you do also have an alter ego. Can you share with us who yeah. that is? And they may know and recognize that name instead. Oh my gosh. Um, I would blush if I could, but I am blushing on the inside. I go by the name of Captain DeFi and it was a name that I kind of chose just on a whim because I thought this is a cool sounding name and now I kind of think it's corny, but it's stuck. And I chose a profile photo that I thought was um, I'm all about symbology. And for me, the symbology of pieces coming together to form something bigger, that saying of the sum of the parts is greater than the whole was really key for me. And being into 80s cartoons, I chose something called Voltron, which if people didn't know, it was these five robots that would come together to fight against monsters and aliens and stuff like that. It's a Japanese cartoon. So my symbol is Voltron, whether you're on Twitter or on the Discord groups that I'm a part of, you will see me as Captain DeFi, aka Mark, under the Voltron with the symbology of it's all about different pieces coming together. And the perfect name for the topic we are chatting all about today. Now, guys, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, we did touch on DeFi a little while ago, but we really focused on decentralized exchanges and altcoins and how to get into them. And now we're going to zoom out and really focus from a macro level because it is such a huge, huge topic and we're only going to be scratching the surface today. But Mark, can you explain what DeFi is and how it's different to CeFi or centralized finance? Yeah, sure. So coming from that centralized kind of finance space, 
you know, being that skeptic initially and now being a DeFi advocate, I think I'm in a pretty good spot to talk about the the story there. You know, the biggest thing, it's in the name, which is great because it's all about transparency here, but it's decentralized. That's the biggest thing to kind of understand. And when people go, well, what, what is that difference to centralized? Well, if you think about how banks and regulatory authorities, whether here in Australia or overseas, are the ones that hold the power. And whether that's the ones that basically hold all the data, the information, all of the insights to do the transactions that you do and take for granted every day, transferring money, paying transactions to others for services. A lot of that kind of stuff is centralized and that comes with its benefits, but it also comes with a whole lot of things that could be improved. And a lot of people will say, well, why do we need DeFi? Because you can just improve things just in that space. But it's been so hard because it's so ingrained, so much money has been made in that space that it is a hardship to turn around. And so decentralized basically means that instead of relying upon those centralized services by using the network the blockchain provides and having all that transparency and trustlessness that's in the technology that's part of that, we can do and start to create these services that will form part of the way that we do transactions in the future, whether it's cross-border payments, paying someone for a pizza. And there's the famous story of the person that paid how many Bitcoin you know, for a pizza and they're probably regretting that decision every day. But all of that kind of stuff is part of this new way of mixing technology, but also the philosophy of money in terms of how we do things in the new world. And people will speak about like, especially I, I love, um, you've had this guest on before, but Ralph Powell, I had a big aha moment when I listened to one of his talks with Robert Breedlove in this space where they were speaking about why we got to where we are with uh, quantitative easing and the wealth gap, but it all starts and probably goes back way further, but they talk about the UK or England at the time and Germany going to war eventually after like a lot of like building up their capacity and, and their power in Europe, World War One, World War Two, the Korean War and all that. And how after that, we had a level of peace that the world had not seen for a while. So of course, we get the happiness that comes with the 60s and the baby boom that comes with that happiness and 78 million more people in the US, meaning more demand for services, meaning an increase in inflation and just continuous printing of money. And it, it just means that people, whether you're in third world nations or you're in the not 1% or even middle class, the wealth gap just keeps increasing. So we need better services and DeFi could not have come at a better time than it did when the world was like, we've got the technology, we need to do better, we can do better. And that's basically what uh, it's all about. And it's got its pros and cons, but it's still a nascent space. But there's so many people that are working really hard to make this a, a much better space. Yeah, and almost like a revolution or like if you think of it, like people rebel <laughs> against the system and they're like, you know, they don't want to conform to all of these rules and systems and things that have been in place that we don't get a say in, that we don't get to control ourselves. And so it does open so many doors and, you know, coming from a, a fintech background myself and knowing the regulations and the hoops that you have to jump through. It's such a different concept to be thinking about this. And I think that's the thing that plays on most people's mind, first of all, when they think yeah. about this, because they're like, this is epic, but is it safe? Like, am I going to be okay? What are your thoughts on that? Before we get into that, the stuff that you said there, the revolution part, and I've heard this before, and I like this idea that part of it could be a revolution, but because the current system, centralized finance, 
is already exposing some of the weaknesses. Like people in Canada, for example, just because of a political view, they can get unbanked. Or people in other countries can be stopped at the border while they're trying to flee war-torn areas and that they can have their savings, you know, blocked from being taken with them. And so I think the systems that we have currently, rather than a revolution where we have to break things down, it's almost like it's breaking down itself. So all the DeFi really needs to do is the evolution part that comes after the revolution. But uh, it might be different in different places. But back to your question on the safety, I would say that with anything, you have to be careful yourself and not just trust implicitly. DeFi, like many other new technologies and new forms of doing things, it's still very nice and it's still early. But the exciting thing is that things happen so much faster in this space than they have before. What, you know, is an experiment that would say take decades or many, many years to do happens so quickly because of the technology and because of the experience that all of us that are in this space have had before, whether users or builders. But I think that, you know, people are in this space they need to be aware of things like wallet hygiene. And it's a a fancy way of just saying that you need to kind of be careful with how you do things like transferring money and engaging with DeFi protocols, whether you're staking, lending, borrowing, et cetera. Education's a big part of this. And I guess that's one of the things that people don't realize uh, that there's so, I mean, apart from like this podcast and some of the things that other people might read, We've done the deep dives. There's so much free information out there. And that's, I guess, part of the Oz DeFi thing. We're bringing the communities together to learn together. But if people get educated, they will learn these things. And if they're part of a network, they don't have to learn all of it on their own. And we see in the media that, you know, there's a lot. Uh, I know that there's that uh, kind of saying, and even if people don't want to admit it, that whole, if it bleeds, it leads. And so that idea around, well, oh, there's a scam. Let's talk about that. Yeah, but scams only make up a small portion or illicit activity, according to Chainalysis's uh, report. Is that right, Chainalysis's? Anyway, the crypto crime report, they showed that it's been decreasing as an overall percentage of the market, even though the overall volume has gone up. The overall market for crypto has gone up far higher. And in 2020, it was 0.62%. In 2021, it's 0.15% of the total volume of crypto is illicit activity. And you can read their free report to see what it is they classify as part of that. But the good thing is, Alicia, is that there's so much that is being done in this space in terms of services to basically make the place a little bit safer and to make people aware of, hey, there's a potential rug pull here because this crypto or this protocol is eliciting these kinds of factors and those have commonly been associated with what we call rug pulls. And so whilst there are these things that you need to be careful of, there is much more positive going on in the space with people trying to make it a safer place. And the other thing I say with all of this is that if people think that, oh, you know, it's all just money laundering and Ponzi's and all that kind of stuff, well, let's look at traditional finance and let's look at all the pump and dumps that were there in the 1920s when we had the early New York stock exchange markets, the Ponzi schemes that have happened. I mean, Ponzi comes from traditional finance, but we've got the Bernie Madoffs, the Worldcoms, the Enrons, and there's a whole lot of other plays in this space that have done scans worth in the hundreds of millions and the billions of dollars. So the common factor there is humans. Um, but I think with DeFi, we have this opportunity to use technology to do better. 
But it's important that we highlight that, yeah, you need to be careful in this space. Yeah. And doing your research, we always talk about that as well. But if a new bank opened and you were like, oh, hey, that looks cool. You wouldn't just go and open an account and put your life savings in it without like reading about it and asking other people about it and going through all the information that you can. Like, even though it would be classed as a bank and maybe something you could trust a little bit more, you still wouldn't go in there with your eyes shut. So it's the same with this. Like you just, you you never ever would do that. It's just dumb. Exactly. And it's funny because a lot of the critiques, whether it's, um, you know, some famous critiques of NFTs from famous folks, like whether it's uh, Jack Dorsey or Moxie Marlins, like the founder of Signal or even Elon Musk, or it's people that create documentaries that get millions of views and yet they show a very one-sided yet valid kind of arguments in the space. But a lot of them will shine a light on the crypto Web3 and DeFi space, but it's like, well, let's shine a light on what was there before. Because the idea that we can just rest on our laurels and do nothing whilst the wealth gap increases, whilst there are so many still unbanked around the world, it just doesn't sit well with me. And it's very hard to fight innovation. And yes, it's a wild west out there, which is why we need to come together to learn and educate. But I think once people start listening to more of these talks and seeing the philosophy of money and other things, because it's not just technology thing in this space they'll realize that this is a space that you have to do things together. And we've done talks where, you know, if I've presented a project that we're working on, normally in the Web2 space, people would like throw up the question and try to throw you off or try to poke holes in it. Whereas in the Web3, even if people are doing that, it doesn't feel like it's a negative thing. It's like, okay, yes, that's true. This is something that we haven't worked out yet, but how do we actually come together? And you've recognized that how do we actually come together to find a better way and solve things? And it's a very interesting thing because I've never thought like this before, even though it's kind of been in the back of my head working in the Web2 space, but it's uh, yeah, much more so in crypto. Crypto almost forces you to think about we, not me. It falls forces you to think about the us, not the I. It's like the collective. So I'm loving it. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid as you could, you know, probably already tell. Yeah, guys, I'm sure you can hear this passion coming through the mic right now. Like Mark, it's epic chatting to you and and just hearing what an advocate you are for this space because it is something that you you don't know until you know. And when you live and breathe it and you can see the good in it, and kind of explain both sides of the story when we only get to hear one side so often. It is just so good to, I guess, have someone who can give you so much knowledge in the space as well. So we touched on mm-hmm. privacy. We touched on decentralization. They're both benefits and, and huge differences that people are so excited about in this space. Are there any other features or benefits that you think we should call out? Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I think that there's a lot of things that people will talk about in this space apart from you know, just the FOMO that comes into it with all the crazy yields that are there. And yes, it's great to make money, but people got to realize that like any industry, if you're really early into the space, then yes, it's very likely you're going to do really well. And I think we are all still early, especially us on this show. There's so many people that are not in this space yet. But one thing that people got to realize is that uh, they've got to look at the other benefits, not just the yields and the high returns, because that's not going to be there forever, especially like with any new industry. And so some of the other things that people will get the benefit of, and maybe will not realize this because they're just using it every day. It's not like you need to know how your phone works or how buy now, pay later transactions work. They just work for you as users. But the thing that we are going to see is that there is all of this technology 
and innovation and new ways to doing things, whether it's faster, it's better, it's more efficient. Those are things that are a big part of DeFi because one of the things that we talk about sometimes DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, but a big part of why they're autonomous is because of the smart contract technology, which means that a lot of mundane manual processes that are typically done by humans now get to be automated. And so the costs come down to doing things, but also the benefits and higher levels of ownership are now there. So imagine like Uber, where yes, you're a user and you pay for it, but you could also be a part owner. And we see it overseas with the the collective groups of social token things like friends with benefits, where you could be a part owner in a club. You know, you can be a part owner of a social movement. And, and I think that's part of like what some of the benefits are for people apart from like the technology. It's all of the thinking about like what is the collective that you're in? What's the culture that you're in? And how does that now get to benefit from a monetary aspect? How do you actually get to tokenize that? And it's not tokenization for tokenization's sake. It's being tokenized because there's potential benefit to you know, either bring back something to the community and not just what we have in the old world where money just pulls to those that have the idea and are the ones that form all of this kind of stuff and they keep the money and yes, they help out the little man or woman and they, they just help them out a little bit incrementally. This is about how do we uplift everyone together? And so those are some of the benefits that I see there. And as we see more protocols come out, there's going to be a ton more for sure. Yeah, 100%. We're seeing so much innovation here as well. And this is really steering away from DeFi, but like it's a thing as well. Like dApps is something that has just transformed so many different people's lives. And, you know, whether they're using themselves or they're working with teams that use them and, and dApps, guys, we haven't touched on it too much, but decentralized applications. And again, people are using them today. And we talk about dApps and they're like, wait, what? what's that? Like you're already in this world, but can you touch on it? Like some examples of these that people might be using or may have seen before. A good way to think about DApps, and I guess to think about Ethereum, you know, there's other competitors to Ethereum. We hear about Solana and all of these other kind of layer one chains. But a good way to think about Ethereum is as a big computer, and because of that, there's these things that are autonomous applications. An example is just any app that is built on Ethereum. So it could be quite a normal application, like an app which allows you to bring in, and we see a lot of this, the first iterations of DeFi were all about lending and borrowing and and onboarding people to be able to do stuff with crypto. So just bringing someone onto an application with a front end they could log into, that is something that we've had in the Web2 space. So having those apps that are part of the Web2 space are very familiar. And that's why, like you said, some people don't recognize it as like a DAP. Well, the part that connects it and makes it a decentralized application is the fact that there is blockchain technology as part of it. So if it employs anything to do with smart contracts, it can be considered a DAP. Even DAOs themselves in a way, especially with how they distribute governance tokens and vote on things because they're using smart contracts for the purpose of their shared common collective goal of moving towards something like, say, buying the US constitution or buying a sports team, for example, that could be considered like a DAP as well. And with anything in this space, moving towards like decentralized, from centralized, There are these trade-offs, there are these pros and cons, but the most exciting thing and the reason why we dove headfirst into getting involved is because 
it's a yeah it's an exciting space to be in but you actually get to be part of the movement as it evolves and as it improves towards where inevitably we are all going to be like you said just using it whether or not we realize it so for example you could have a company that's doing surveys right and as they collect these surveys for whatever industry they're in the user maybe has an application that they fill in the surveys the team that manages those surveys and gets the data the insights has their management kind of point of view. You could build that in the Web2 space. In the blockchain space, and there is no hard and fast rule here, but certain elements of that, for example, the reward structures. So instead of as a user, maybe they fill in a survey in Web2, you could have something automated where they get a gift card, right? In the blockchain space, that could be automated, for example, through smart contract technology that this person, once they filled a certain amount of surveys as a user, they get a certain number of tokens. And as those tokens rise in value, then there will be you know, certain rewards that they can get from that. But there could be other elements such as the automation of the insights that come out of that. What is currently being worked on is how much stuff actually is occurring on the blockchain because blockchain means transactions and transactions have fees and Ethereum is still going through its process of moving to proof of stake where it's going to lower fees. There are the blockchains that are cheaper, but people need to be pragmatic in this space in terms of how they build because like those transaction fees in terms of how you're connected to the blockchain is something worth thinking about. And if you've got a protocol that you're building that is high throughput, there's a lot of volume of transactions, you do need to think about how you're actually going to build it because there might be some things that are off-chain and you need oracles like Chainlink to get data from off-site and bring it in to form part of the DAP. Um, or there might be things that you're doing purely on layer twos that mean that you can transact with very low gas fees. But yeah, that's, I guess, going back to it, uh, in a roundabout way, blockchain is the biggest part that is the difference there. And smart contracts is part of that. Those are the biggest differences between dApps and just normal applications you use. Yeah. And, and pulling in dApps and, and smart contracts is part of DeFi then as well. Like, you know, these are the things and I personally think, and I'd love to hear your opinion, mm-hmm. they're the things that are going to enable the scale. Because at the moment, that's the biggest thing when we're having discussions around these and we're looking at the transactions per second that, you know, the the schemes can do versus Bitcoin or Ethereum. The transactions per second is where we're letting everyone down at the moment. You know, we couldn't put the volume through that we do on on other methods of finance at the moment. And so I think that's the utility that's going to allow us to grow. And that's the thing that we really need to be investing in. Absolutely. And, you know, the transactions and making that more efficient as well as the UX and how automated that is instead of people having to manually copy and paste the key and then making a mistake with that key and losing all your coins. For example, there's a lot of those things that need to be improved, but we're very lucky because we are going through a very fast evolution. You know, the first wave of DeFi was done and we're going through the next couple of waves of that space. Uh, So I've no doubt and I'm very confident that the problems that we're seeing now are not going to be problems in the future or there'll be a different version of those as things improve. So yeah, it's, it's still a great space to be in. So speaking of growth and, you know, where the future is heading, you mentioned Chainlink before as as part yeah. of an Oracle and a great segue for me because Chainlink and Terra are probably the two in the DeFi space that we've seen the biggest movement on. Um, and, you know, some movements have not been all upwards, in particular Chainlink. Back <laughs> over. There was a great trajectory there for a while, but, you know, yeah. it settled down a little bit. But are there any other projects in the DeFi space that you're really interested in? 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and Chainlink is something that is connected to this next one that I want to talk about. And that's something called Stargate. And the reason I say it's connected to Chainlink is that Chainlink was all about these oracles and bringing data in off chain, but they're also looking at building what people are calling like the omni-chain future. And the reason they call it omni-chain is because in the future, there's going to be multiple different areas of your life that are going to be tokenized. And as I said, tokenization is a good thing. People don't realize it today, but you're part of different cults. And cult sounds like a bad thing, but think of it more like culture, right? You're part of a gym culture. You're part of a work culture. You're part of like a foodie culture. And whatever that is, all of those cults, in a good way, if they get tokenized, this is the space right now in crypto to figure out whether those cults have actual value, if there's economic viability of those cults. And so the ability to move in a free way and very easy way, because right now you almost got to have a map, you know, open up the map um, and you actually have to have like, okay, so I can't go to this chain directly. So I have to go from one chain to the next, that chain to another, and then that chain to another. And all of those bridges mean transaction fees and costs and the potential for mistakes. And what these omni chains are doing is that you purely just point it in the direction of where it is that you want to go. And they are building in a very efficient manner the way that you can connect there. So if you look up Stargate, Stargate is something that is doing something in that space, just like Chainlink is. And if we think about how the future is going to be all about interoperability, that's a real key. And another one, because I'm really into my fitness, is an Aussie company. And also because, you know, it's Aussie, so it's a great one to talk about, um, but it's called Step N, Step N. And they've done some really cool stuff in the move to earn space, as I mentioned before. They're an Aussie team all about rewarding you for moving. So it's worth a look at there. And there's going to be so many more other kind of protocols that people will find close to them. But that's what this is all about, finding the culture, finding the cult, finding those things that are really close to you and finding a way to invest or get involved in that. And I think like move to earn is just such an interesting concept. Like it's something that so many people can now start to look into all these different ways that they can start to earn, not just, you know, making money when things profit, but also doing these cool things that you'd be doing every day, like playing games or moving a body or something like that. Exactly. If they can find a way to make it so that I can earn from just watching the YouTube videos and going down those rabbit holes. And I think there are probably some things out there that I just haven't seen yet, but uh, yeah, it's going to be amazing all the things that we can do in the future. Such a crazy world. And speaking of the future, something that we have heard whispers of is mm-hmm. DeFi 2.0. So like going beyond what we've spoken today and where we are currently, uh, heading into that future and the next realm and evolution of this already, what do you think that entails or what have you heard about DeFi 2.0? Yeah, it's it's a great question because people will be like, whoa, it's already 2.0. Didn't it just start? But the amazing thing is because of the speed of how things happen in this space, that blink and you miss it type moment, early DeFi, DeFi 1.0 was all about getting people to uh, onboard into DeFi to help them with lending and borrowing in the crypto space. We had things like automated market makers, which are a fancy way of just being able to have these protocols that will move your money around and will basically find the best kind of yields and stuff for you. They had their pros and cons. And because it was still so early, it was suffering from things like bad UX. It had high fees. It didn't have great 
incentives for people to onboard and lock up their liquidity into a certain protocol. And most importantly, it wasn't replacing the traditional finance services that it was promised that it would when the philosophy of this was being formed. And so DeFi 2.0 is all about addressing those concerns. The UX is being improved. We're seeing these things like what they're calling money Legos, right? Where instead of having to figure out what bridges do I need to form and how do I transfer money across the different protocols and how many hops do I have to have? Now you can have money Legos where you can drag and drop and it's still being improved, but you can actually build up what it is that you want to do and how you want to express yourself as an investor in this space. And we've got layer twos and layer twos are about sitting on top of the layer ones, but lowering the transaction fees. And we're lucky in Australia because we're one of the places that punches well above our weight. We've got a company called Immutable. If you haven't heard of them, then you need to get out from under your rock, uh, first of all, and look them up because uh, they're in Sydney and around Australia, but they're doing some really amazing things in the layer two space to make transactions a lot easier. The incentives to bring on liquidity are being improved and we're seeing much more sustainable projects. And we're also seeing more businesses come into this space. So the first iteration was in terms of onboarding all the retail investors, the mum and dads and the individual investors. And now we're seeing businesses come into this space, which brings with it regulation, which could be a bad word for some people, but we need at least some of that in this space. And so I guess I would say that we're seeing that the future, the next things for DeFi are all about that improving what we've got currently, but also bringing in traditional finance such to the point where you would not even notice that the app that you're using actually has a blockchain element as part of it, but it does because it's so seamless in how it works. But I guess we need to just be really careful and take this all with a grain of salt because the worst part would be if we move to this new world and it's just the same as the old world. And instead of it's just say, and you know, this is not being sexist or anything, because it's a term I've heard, instead of dudes in suits, and it's now just dudes in hoodies and baseball caps, but it's the same thing. That's what we can't have. We need to be far more inclusive. We need to improve upon the past. And DeFi 2.0 and 3.0 and beyond is all going to be part of that as long as there are people like us that are really making sure the education is there and making sure that things are being done in a better way than they were before. Yeah, and building things that solve those problems, like the problems of fiat, the problems with centralized finance. If we're fixing those, you know, and not creating new ones, in its mm-hmm. place, which I think is that that balance that's going to be really interesting to watch unfold, as you mentioned, like just changing who's behind these and what we're doing and keeping the infrastructure the same won't work. But the other, I guess, challenge that I see is us creating a whole heap of new problems. Like we think we solve some and then we create a whole heap of other ones and we don't have regulation. Like there's just, it's such an interesting space to watch and none of us will know until we get there. None of us can predict what's going to happen, but it's a very exciting journey to be on. Oh, exactly. And I think, you know, the interesting thing here is that it's no doubt that as we create new solutions to solve the old ones, just like moving from centralized to decentralized creates its own problem, but it also, because of the network effect, instead of just centralized authorities and companies and individuals even being the ones to solve this in a very individualistic way, DeFi is all about community and collaboration and cooperation. It means that those new problems will be solved in a collaborative manner. That's why it's really exciting. And, you know, we see things like people leaving the DeFi space because they're tired of it. Andre Cronje is a great one that was named out there. And because of the stuff that he was doing, people thought, oh, he's leaving. He's the godfather of all of this. Well, hey, hang on a second. 
it's decentralized. So even if he's shutting down his protocols, people can copy it and they have, they've forked them or copied them and they're just continuing with it, which is what this space is supposed to be about. It is bigger than any one individual. And it's exciting to see where we'll be at in, who knows, even just a year's time, things will be so massively improved. Seriously, like six months in this space is like seven years in real time. <laughs> it's like dog years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. If someone's listened to all of this and they're like, oh my God, I still don't understand what DeFi is. If you had to like just wrap it up in a bundle, how would you describe it? Yeah. Unless like, I, I would just expect people would have just said, you know, after hearing this, that you had me at hello, you know, so but if they haven't done that, I would say that the biggest things in here is that get in your mind that it is all about community and collaboration, get in your mind that there are places out there like the Oz DeFi Association and various groups that we're connected with. And it's not about rivalries. We're all open. Blockchain Australia is doing some amazing things as well. And we all want to be involved in this space in Australia and globally. So make sure that you're aware of the groups that are educating out there. And also just be aware that there's a lot of free information online. So you can learn a lot yourself. And when you get burnt out and you need to recharge and just talk to someone, it's almost like we're all a big group of agony aunts and we're all kind of helping each other discover what comes next. But I think, you know, it's really exciting to see how people will pull together their resources and come up with new ideas. And we're seeing it every day, just being part of the association, seeing all the great ideas that are coming up. And who knows, the next version of Atlassian or Immutable might come up as something that we're having early stage conversations with right now. But I think the biggest thing would be for people, if you don't know the space, don't be scared. It's all open and inclusive. Just get on board and let's do some cool stuff together. 100%. And you've mentioned some epic resources there. One of them, of course, is your own. Where can people go if they're like, right, cool, I'm in. I want to join this. I want to be part of the conversation. Where can they go to find you guys? Well, we're very lucky and I don't know why this name wasn't taken, but uh, because it's all about DeFi and that encompasses Web3 and NFTs and other things in the space. But our website is defi.org.au. And on there, there are newsletters and resources for where you can look up data and news and other newsletters too, but we also do our own weekly one. But most importantly, the conversations happen on Discord and we've got a big blue button on the homepage that says join the Discord, which is kind of like Slack, but it's all about bringing together different communities. And yeah, that is the space that we are on a lot. We've got a YouTube channel that we just started and we're also on Twitter too. So we are trying to be out there because we know that um, people have uh, different areas that they like to focus on. So we, we try to address all of that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. It's been epic chatting to you and diving a little bit more into DeFi than we ever have before. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing all of the episodes. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.